Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are in part two of a series on money called Making Change, because I think a lot of us, when it comes to money, know that we need to make change, but we, we, we find that it's hard to make that change. And the reason why is because there is something about money. We got into this last week. There is something about money that gets underneath the surface to something much, much deeper. Uh, that is why Jesus talked uh, more about money than any other subject, not because he was after money. In fact, he never asked for money. Contrary to maybe popular belief, he never asked for money. There was that one time, though, he did ask for a coin to make a point, but presumably he gave that coin back. Can't really be sure. Maybe he didn't give it back. Maybe, maybe he did take that coin that one time. I don't know. But he didn't ask for money in, in a large uh, scale. So he wasn't after our money, but he knew that money was after us. And um, money is not just, money is something that's not just content to stay in your pocket. It wants to creep up and get in your heart. And that's why Jesus said in this passage, watch out. Watch out, watch out, like be on your guard, like look around, be very careful, be constantly aware, lock your doors, get a security system, floodlights, whatever. Be on your guard because greed, all kinds of greed that is, has a way of sneaking up on you. That when you make financial decisions, you need to be suspicious. Like you need to ask yourself hundreds of questions, get help, uh, get someone else involved because you need to be very proactive because greed has a way of creeping up on you. And then he makes a statement that brings definition to what greed actually is. Because, I mean, after all, I'm not greedy. I mean, you're not greedy. I mean, who's really greedy? I mean, maybe Scrooge McDuck, if he's in a bathtub, you know, swimming around in coins and cash. I mean, that person's greedy. But who is really greedy? How do you know if you are greedy? He makes a statement. He says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. In other words, the greedy person is one who thinks that life is equal to the same as how much stuff I have. To fall into greed, to, to have greed sneak up on you, is to live with the consumption assumption. The consumption assumption is the assumption that whatever comes my way is for my consumption now or later, is to believe that life is about the abundance of my possessions. Now, we may not think this, and if we were to do a poll, no one here would say, I think life is about accumulating stuff. That's what I think my life is about. But, but, and I don't mean to be rude, I don't mean to, but our habits may tell a different story. I mean, imagine like if you were like from another planet and you came to observe America, you might think that, man, these people need to spend to stay alive because they spend every day, they go into these big buildings, they walk out with a bunch of stuff and, and or they go on their phone, they go on a computer and bing, the guy with the brown truck shows up and there's all kinds of boxes and what is that? I have no idea, but we bought it and we, we have it and it piles up, we put it in a basement, we put it in storage units and they're thinking, man, these people must, they must have to consume to stay alive. I mean, they, they do the strangest things. They have closets full of clothes. I mean, they walk into their closets and some closets have, you know, shelves way up there. And then they put more stuff in those closets. They have clothes, but they put more clothes in there or they'll have a phone. It, it's an amazing phone. It may have a, a cracked screen, but it's an amazing phone, but they turn it in for a slightly more amazing phone. Or here's something they do. They, they get in a car. The car works amazing. It works so amazing that they're actually able to drive it to this parking lot. And then they have a conversation. They talk back and forth. and All of a sudden they walk away they drive away in another car. And they, it just seems like if these people, if these earthlings do not purchase, they're not going to survive. Maybe, maybe that's why the government 
the past couple of years, gave all these $800 billion worth of checks because, man, if they don't have money to spend, I mean, they're not going to make it. It's not bad to possess money. It's bad when money possesses you. Um, scripture says in Ecclesiastes 5, moreover, when God gives a man or woman wealth and possessions, enables him to enjoy them, um, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, that's contentment, this is a gift from God. In other words, uh, one, it's going to talk about contentment, but it's going to talk about, hey, it's okay to enjoy things. Uh, no one should feel bad about enjoying things. Uh, it's not bad to possess Stuff, just don't want stuff to possess you. And there are two big, there's two big problems. There's two big things that we lose when we fall into the consumption assumption that Jesus is going to warn us about. The two big things is that we, we can lose our peace and we can lose our purpose. We can lose our peace and we can lose our purpose. For my whole life, and maybe you can relate to this, I always thought if one is good, two is better, right? So if one dollar is good, two is? If one car is good, two is? If one TV is good, two is. If one spouse is good, two is. Terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible. Shame on you. Generally speaking, the common thought, if, if one is good, two is better. Um, again, Ecclesiastes, uh, this is wisdom literature. It says, better, better one handful with tranquility. So you have one hand. One hand. So if there's stuff, when we go to the stuff pile, it's better just to grab one and have one hand open. And that, that's how you have peace than to grab with two hands. If, if, you, have, if you have one hand open, if somebody needs help, you, you can help them. If you have one hand open, if somebody needs comfort, you, you can comfort them. But if, you're, but if you've got two fists, if you're grabbing with two fists, I'm too busy, I can't help, I can't do this, I can't do this, because I am toiling after grabbing stuff and possessions and life and, and, and incomes and, and all of that, because I don't have peace, but I have my hand on stuff. And, and the Bible's gonna say that actually, I know it's terrible math, uh, but one is greater than two. Sometimes less is greater than more. Better to have one handful and relationships with your kids than two handfuls and not a great relationship with your kids. Better to have one handful and community and, and purpose and meaning than to have two handfuls and to have striving and, faith and, and, striving and toil after the wind, as it says. I'm going to argue all day long that the richest people in the world, the richest people in the world aren't those who have the most, but they need the least. Aren't those who have the most that need uh, the, the least? Glo by global standards, and you know this, you're probably tired of hearing it. Like by global standards, I mean, we are rich. I mean, if you own a car, you're in the top 8%, even if it's like all duct taped together and it's, it's still a car and you're still in the top 8%. I mean, by global standards, we are wealthy. By historic standards, we are wealthy. Even those who had a lot of money in the 1800s, Vanderbilt or whoever was back then, like we're, we, our standard of living is better than them. By global standards, we are rich, but we don't feel rich. And the reason we don't feel rich is because we don't have margin. Because instead of having one handful, we grab with two. We give up our peace. And we may disagree, but the debt in this country paints a different picture. We all have like a two-year-old living inside of us, right? So you never ever go shopping with a two-year-old? 
I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. We all have a two-year-old living inside of us and with the signature, we can have it. People, you can upgrade, you can get this, you can get that. There was a, there was a day in our country where having debt was a sign that things aren't going well for you. And, uh, and there was a something, if you're, if you're under 35, you have no idea what this is, but there used to be something where you go to a department store and if you wanted something, you couldn't afford it, what you would do, you would tell the, the salesperson, hey, would you put this back in your storage, and then every month I'll give you like $100, dishwasher, whatever, I'll give you $100, and then when I'm done paying it all, then, then deliver it or I'll take it home, or whatever. Did anybody remember what that was called? Layaway, layaway, lay exactly, so you do know. And so I, I think everyone should come up with their own system of layaway, by the way, but, and if you're under 35, you're like, how stupid is that? Like, if you just buy it, like just charge it, just put it, just go ahead and get it right now. Why wait? But here's a cool thing about layaway is that when you're done making your last payment, um, it's still new. It's still shiny. It's still, it's still there. If, when you charge it, um, when you're done making your last payment, I mean, who really knows where it is and you may have lost it, it's broken. And, or maybe, and probably if you follow the patterns of, uh, of, of culture, is that you probably already like, got rid of it and bought something else that you charged and you kind of just create the whole crazy cycle all over again, and it's, it's a ripoff, but it's a system that we, we, we live in, um, you know, in car loan and credit card debt alone. I mean, I think like the average is like 13,000 a year, and, and most people, if, you, if, you're, if you're buying stuff on credit card and there's, you know, high interest, I mean, you pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and, and you know, even in, even in the world's wisdom, if you, didn't, if you didn't spend that and you didn't have to pay, you know, if you didn't have that debt or in, and you could invest that and you didn't spend money every month just paying interest and you were able to invest that too, I mean, the numbers are just crazy. I mean, if you're, if you're in your 20s or 30s, I mean, that could be like a million dollars. And so instead of spending tens of thousands of dollars in interest, you could actually have for yourself like a million dollars, not just worldly wisdom. That's not even really the point of this, but it's just, it's a really... Um, terrible thing. You know, Hosea says that my people uh, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And so I would encourage you just to have good financial knowledge. But because of this, we, we have a government too that's in. So it's not just that we're in debt, we're, our government is in, is in debt. And um, it doesn't matter what regime, every regime gets, in, gets, in, gets us into more and more debt. Currently, we spend about $6 trillion a year. We take in about $4 trillion a year. You don't have to be good at math. Uh, to know that that's not good. And uh, so we're at, right now, we're at $30.8 trillion um, in debt. And I know that those numbers are huge and don't mean anything, but basically that means that if you were to spread it out over every uh, man, woman, boy, and child in the United States, that's a little over $94,000 per person that you owe. And so there's a family here in um, Sunset Hills uh, called the Munchnicks, and they're pregnant with their eighth child. And so they owe like a million dollars. And I just think we should give them a round of applause. I say keep having babies. Let's spread this out even more. It, it's not just a ripoff. It's voluntary slavery. Um, again, in, in, so in Proverbs 22, it says the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is a slave of the lender. Now, in this times, people would sell themselves into slavery um, because they got into debt and they couldn't pay their bills. But we don't sell ourselves into slavery. We purchase our way into slavery. And your heavenly father wants you to be free 
to, uh, to do what he's called you to do. And if you're in bondage to a credit card company or an, an, you know, some uh, auto loan, Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. In other words, the only kind of debt that we should get into or the Bible would encourage us to get into is a debt that we owe to each other. But, but ironically, when we get into financial debt, we can't get into, we can't actually love uh, one another. And so, you know, debt, what, what debt does is debt does not reduce your willingness to be generous. It doesn't reduce your desire to be generous, but it does reduce your ability and so you may be, you know, your heart may go out to something, whether it's in the church or, you know, a hurricane happens or whatever it is. You're like, your heart, or maybe you feel prompted even by the Spirit to say, you know, it's like give, 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 but MasterCard over here is saying, you know, pay, pay, pay. And guess who wins? Your, your master, the one that you owe. And God doesn't want that for you. Now, just to be super, super clear and, and detailed, the Bible never prohibits like no debt at all but it strongly warns against it. And the reason why it warns against it is what Jesus is talking about, is that it, it, it's a way of showing us, man, greed has creeped up because at some level, and I know there are extenuating circumstances, I know there are health issues, and I, I know that, and maybe that's true, but for, for the most part, we've at some level bought into the lie that, that life equals upgrade, that life equals consumption. And so... Um, so, uh, yeah. So when you fall into the consumption assumption, you give up peace. But here's the big thing, and this is the thing I really want you to think about, is you give up purpose. This is the big one. The other one was sort of practical. This, one's, this, one's, this one gets to the heart. You give up purpose. Jesus said this, Jesus said this. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he tells a parable of a guy who didn't get into debt, but he lived under the consumption assumption. So if all of you are like, hey, I'm not in debt, I'm free of debt, and man, yeah, those people who are in debt are, are bad news and all that. Just hold on a second. This guy lived under the uh, consumption assumption who, regardless of how he intended to live, you could, he may be intended to be like, I want to be an altruistic person. I want to be benevolent. I want to help. I want to do different things. He may have intended to live one way, but he actually lived in such a way as though life for him was the abundance of his possessions. That's why God calls him a fool, because his whole life, he got stuff. He got more stuff. He got bigger barns. He got, you know, he just kept upgrading, upgrading, Upgrading. He lived under the consumption assumption. And here's Jesus' point, if I could sum it up in this statement, in this parable. Money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life. Money can add meaning to your life, but money is not the meaning of life. Money is a way better means than it is an end. And being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. Being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. That's why we don't have segues. If you don't know what a segue is, you're like, Brian, what's a segue? How's a, a segue, exactly, it's kind of my point. Because a segue, you, you see one of these things, those things you kind of ride around, you're like, man, that looks awesome. I want one, but no one could ever figure out a purpose for them. Like, I can't really actually use this. And so because it didn't have meaning, it became meaningless. 
And when your life, when you, when your money uh, is meant to be a means to an end and not an end to itself, so to have purpose, to have meaning in your life is to be a means to an end. So this is true for your money. This is also true for you. If you want to have a meaningful life, if you want to have a meaningful life, you must be willing to be a means to an end. That's what it means to have meaning. That's what it means to have purpose. The reason why so many people live without purpose is because they're unwilling to be a means to an end. They want to be the end. And whatever you set out in your life to do and to be, your money will follow. That's the whole thing in the garden. This is how we all got to, hey, enemy comes up, the devil comes up, and he says, why be a means to an end when you can be the end? You can be God. It can all flow to you. And when you, when you live as though you are the end and not a means to an end, that's the way you spend your money. So it can work both ways. And that's why everywhere you look, I mean, we just have, we have, we buy bigger basements, we buy bigger closets. I mean, everywhere you look is a storage, storage units coming up. I mean, storage unit or car wash or, or QT. Those are the three things being built right now, apparently, because we have all of this stuff. But when you, when you decide that you're going to be a means to an end, then you begin to view your money differently. And you begin to ask this question, how can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that's not me? How can I leverage more of what I have as a means to an end that, that's not me? And this is where joy comes from. This is where meaning comes from. This is where purpose comes from. This is where life comes from. That's why I think you should, and this will come up at the end, I think you should pre-decide what percentage of your income you're going to live on because you're going to live on a percentage of income anyway. And it's better that you decide what that is than a lifestyle or a moment. And here's what Rachel and I have learned. We have learned that we can turn our stuff into stories. And there's other people here who found that out too. And we could, we could tell you, we could tell you stories. We could turn our stuff into stories. And so there's all kinds of factors that go into how you spend your money. I want to add, and I think Jesus is, is saying this in this parable, that one of the factors needs that you need to consider as a way to veer you away from greed. One of the ways that you can veer your life away from greed, away from thinking that life is about the possessions um, that, I don't know why there are flies in this building, but they're up here. Um, the one of the ways that you can veer your life away from greed and falling into the consumption assumption is to factor in this question. Here's a, here's a really important question. Do I want more stuff or do I want more stories? What, what do I want people to say at the end of my life? Here, here I've been... I've, facilitated quite a few funerals, and no one has said, you know what, they had amazing stuff. They had amazing stuff. I mean, let me tell you about the stuff that they had. And some people line up, 
There's some people, there'll be a big line telling how many stories they are, but I'm, I'm sad to say there are some funerals I do where very few people say anything at all. And for Rachel and I, like that, we, ne- we don't miss the stuff that we've given away. It's pretty emotional when we think about the stories that we have. I mean, for those who are at the 25-year anniversary, it's kind of this collective, like we were retelling the stories of the past 25 years. And no one, none, no one had ever said, even though it might have been hard and difficult, no one said, oh man, I wish I would have kept my stuff. It's way better than these stories. No, it's like, oh man, these stories make me want to get rid of more stuff because I want more stories and I want stuff. But what do you want? What do you want? Money is not the end. Money can add meaning to your life, but it's not the meaning of life. So what do you do? If, if being a means to an end is what gives your life meaning, here's a question I want you to answer. To what ends do you want your life to be a means? If the meaning of life, excuse me, if being a means to an end is what gives meaning to your life, To what ends do you want your life to be a means? Now, I didn't ask you beforehand, but I can almost guarantee that nobody, nobody would say this is what they want their life to be. Accumulation, consumption, upgrades, fashion forward, house full of stuff. Nobody is going to want to say that. But but let me tell you something. If you don't pre-decide what you want your life to be a means to, culture and your own heart will pull you in that direction. So if you don't make, this is why I'm imploring you. This is not like, hey, you know, why don't you think about this for a few minutes or whatever. This is like, clear the kitchen table, get out a whiteboard. What do I want my life to be about? about? Strategize, put numbers up there. This is important, important stuff. Nobody says, this is what I want my life to be about. But I promise you, and this is the point of Jesus' parable. If you don't predecide, if you don't do something, if you don't watch out, this is what your life will be. This is it. This is, this is the pull of, I mean, I already have, I mean, somebody tomorrow wants to come, you know, they're gonna try to upgrade me on a phone. They're gonna try to upgrade me on a car. They're gonna try, it just happens. It, every commercial, you look over, oh my gosh, that's a nice car. It's way better than my car. I want a new car. This is what your life will be. Now, you won't intend to do this. You won't intend to do this. But it's, it's the direction that you point your life, the direction of your toes, in other words, that's going to determine what your life ends up, not your intention. So you have to predecide. This is, what it'll, this, is what, this, is, this is what happened to this guy. He got bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns. This is what... When you answer this big question, when you answer the big question, to what ends do I want my life to be a means, what will happen is, your, is that you, then you'll start wrapping your heart around that answer. So whatever you say, I want, this is what I want my life to be about, and you decide it, your heart will wrap around that, and your money will follow that end. So you say, this is what I want. This is what I, I want my life to be a means to this end. Your heart wraps around it and so does your money. Another way of saying that or another way of finding this out, if you want to know what your life is about, then find out where your money is going right now. Is it consumption? Is it upgrade? Is it this? Is it that? Or is it something more? And I, you have to be very, very proactive about it. So what do you do? Well, 
Here's a few things. One, you got to plan. Uh, Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent leads to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And that word haste in the Hebrew means I got sad, went shopping. I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean that. Um, but you have to pre-decide because, it, again, it'll come at you. It'll come at you. It'll come at you. You'll, you'll, you're like going against the current of culture. Most of culture is living a meaningless life. And your heavenly father wants something better for you than that. So you have to plan. I think you need accountability. Um, the question was asked, what are the least likely things you're, that you would share with someone else? Um, we surveyed 100 people and the top four answers were on the board. Your weight, your health problems, the details of your sex life, you are more likely to tell someone than how much debt you have. I mean, first of all, I mean, just so you're, I get weight, um, but, you know, so health problems, so like 10 people here are sick, four of you will get prayer, six of you will just go home. But, <laughs> but you're more likely to tell, I mean, you're not likely, but you're more likely than how much debt you have. Because it, money has a way of, of, of attaching, we use money to get value, we use money to get security, and it's just, it's, we don't want people to know. Um, and so you need accountability, or it will get worse. And almost everyone I know that's gotten out of debt, and I can tell stories, guy who had $85,000 of debt, got it out in two years, another kid, I say kid, he made $14 an hour, got rid of $10,000 of the debt in a year. He got a lot skinnier and he slept in his car, but he got out of debt. And um, so you can do this, but no one does it alone. It'll get worse alone. And so I think you need, to, I think you need help. But ultimately, I do think you need to repent. Um, Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never ever, ever leave you or forsake you. And here's the, here's the thing, guys. Like, both money and in Jesus promise the same thing. One delivers and one doesn't. And to believe that money is what's going to give my life meaning or somehow buying into the consumption assumption that's all for me or something else is to believe ultimately that Jesus won't provide for me, but money will. Jesus won't give me security, but money will. Jesus won't give me uh, affirmation, but, but money will. And so money is a way of, of, of revealing of what you think of Jesus. And it's, an, it's a heart issue that we, we, we need to turn away from. You say, I don't want that to be true of me. I don't want this to be true of you. I, I want something different. So it's an opportunity to repent. And I, then I think after you do that, man, you go into plan mode, you get accountability. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, your life is going to be so flooded with meaning that you won't know what to do with. That's why Jesus, Jesus, get this, Jesus says of him that he, was, he, who became, he who was rich became poor for us. So he had everything in heaven. I mean, whatever you think is in heaven, he had all of it. He, he, he owns the world. You know, he, all is his. He came to earth and he, and he took on not just the form of a servant, but he, he took on poverty. He had no possession. His only possession 
his clothes were raffled off by Roman soldiers. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He had nothing, but it says of him that the oil of gladness was upon him beyond his peers. You give up nothing, but you gain everything. Jesus showed us that life really isn't about possessions, but his life was so full of meaning. It's why we're still telling the story of Jesus today. You want more stuff? If you want more stories, look at Jesus. Look how he lived. Look what he did for others. Look what he did for you. He was not, he used his life. He gave his life, his breath, his money, his blood for you and for me. And that's why he gets the name that's above all names. It's because he's, he's the one who's given the most. And I just want to invite you into a, a life of, of meaning and purpose. Don't let stuff take your peace. Don't let stuff take your purpose. Why don't you stand? Jesus, we do thank you that you became poor for us. Lord, if it wasn't for the gospel, we would just keep running further and further into our own destruction. But you made us alive in you, and you lifted us up. You gave us eyes to see. And Jesus, I just pray, Lord, that you would Really free us. Lord, we want to be free from the, from the grip that money has on our heart. We don't want to make ourselves the end. We want to be a means to an end. Lord, and you invite us into that. Lord, I just pray against fear and, and insecurity. Lord, for those of us who just like, I can't, who may be embarrassed, I don't know. God, I just pray you'd free us from guilt and shame. You're not, in the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, when the younger son blew everything, the father did not condemn the son. The father hiked up his skirt and ran after him. And if you find yourself in a, a place where yeah, you don't want your financial numbers up on a screen right now, God is, not, God is not wanting to humiliate you or wag his finger at you. He is so glad that you're returning and he wants to bring you into a place of true meaning and true purpose and true riches, the riches that he offers. Not the riches that we get from money, but the riches that he offers. He offers us true wealth.